Welcome back to your favorite contracts podcast. This is Tess Wilkinson Ryan and Dave Hoffman at the University of Pennsylvania, and today we're talking about Hill versus Gateway. Judge Easterbrook thinks the Hills called up Gateway and broke a promise to arbitrate. Is he right? Let's get started. All right, and we're back. Hill versus Gateway 2000. Easterbrook opinion from 1997. Do you remember those gateway boxes? I do remember them. And I, every year I lose more students remember them. And so soon we're coming to a point where not one part of this case is going to be even the least bit uh, relevant. I'm I know. It does. I, I, I have to say I have a certain nostalgia for this case. So here, wait, I'll explain why now. I'll, I'll, t- I'll say what the facts are. So, okay. Luckily for us, uh, Judge Easterbrook gives his version of the facts in the first paragraph of the case in a very, mm, what's the Saint? word we want? Uh, I was thinking more like sardonic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a customer picks up the phone, orders a computer, and gives a credit card number. Presently, a box arrives, containing the computer and a list of terms. So with gateway computers, I think the whole sort of shtick was that you could call and order a computer that was somewhat um, customized to your needs. I think it was the reason I'm saying like it was a bit of a gimmick because your needs typically were only like I plan to surf the internet and I like to use email. I don't think that people who were like I want to build my own computer from scratch were doing gateway nor were sort of Linux users, right? Right. But so the idea was you'd call and say, these are my needs, even though your needs would be sort of typical to everybody, and they would send you a computer in the mail. Yes? Right. Okay. And, and, and importantly, I think the box had like a brand packaging. It was, you know, looked like, like a cow. cow. Like yeah. a cow. Yeah, the outside yeah. of the box had like a cow print to it. Correct. Yes. Okay. Inside the box is, of course, what we care about for the purposes of this case, because inside the box there was paperwork. And... Right. Literally, Among- probably. Actually, it was actually actually literally on paper. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I mean, that makes sense, right? With that, yeah. Yeah, but in case students today are like, is that some dying metaphor? The answer is yes. Of course, it is. In, in, it is a dying metaphor. There, <laughs> there was there, there was actual paper inside the box that contained terms that were written down on paper. Which <laughs> today it seems so dumb, but yeah, there we go. I um I have recently caught my. Um, husband trying to still save all the paperwork that we get in like electronics boxes. Oh, wow. And I was like, I don't, but we can just get this on the internet. I was like, what are you going to do? File them? In like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, it's true. My, my wife actually has a file of all of our warranties. Exactly. In, in some <laughs> drawer in our house. And, and she's extremely proud of this file because I think it, it, it shows the difference between, you know, me and her in terms of one of us cares about the details. Contracts. Contracts. <laughs> what if he cares about contracts? No. <laughs> and it's not me. <laughs> I um, actually thought that that was it. And then Caleb, my, my husband's best friend, uh, was visiting. And he was like, no, it's because he reads the instructions. Playing Sega or Atari with him was killer. Because he'd read <laughs> all the instructions and be way better at it at the beginning when we were both 11. <laughs> wow. Reading the instructions. All right. So, all right, so basically, yeah. they, they, get the, they get the thing in the mail. And there's, there are terms with the box, which obviously anyone who called trying to 
tell the salesman that they, for example, were a gamer who was interested in playing the most recent version of you know Diablo One that came out in two thousand and two or something. Um, it's a game. It's a game. Uh, would not have heard these terms, and so the yep. the, the customers here uh, want to return, um, or, or they have some problem with the uh, the box, uh, with the computer, the performance, and it turns out, uh, and they want to sue. Uh, Did you see that they want, to, well, they want to sue under RICO? They want to claim that Gateway is a racketeer, which well, is an amazing fact. <laughs> it's a civil civil racketeering. And, <laughs> and Gateway doesn't even deny that it's a racketeer because, of course, who can deny that they're a racketeer on the motion to dismiss? But rather, Gateway says, actually, we want to arbitrate this whole thing. Yep. And we want to arbitrate because the terms that are in the box contain an arbitration clause. Yes. And... So there's a lot of things. There's, we, we have a lot of sort of to get through in the case. I would say that both you and I have gone back and forth about whether to have a recording about this case. Yes. And whether to teach it. Um, there are many years where I don't teach it. I don't know, remember, are you, are in a current, are you currently teaching this or not? I've, yeah. I, I have taught this every year. And the interesting thing is it's among the cases that I'm doing worse at every year. Because oh, yeah. my, own, my own understanding of the case changes over time, I mean, in ways that we'll talk about, but the more I understand the, you know, sort of as time, as I, as I get more comfortable with 2207, my views of this chain, this case change. Um, and as I feel less sort of intimidated by the sort of disdainful rhetoric, my, my views yeah. of the case change. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I mean, yeah. I, I'd say like, we both have extremely ambiguous feelings about the case. Ambivalent. Yes. Ambi ambivalent. ambivalent. And, and right. in part, and we're, we're talking about it today because we think that it's still often assigned um, and we might actually assign it. But the, uh, um, I personally think the case is increasingly irrelevant to like the life of 2020 contract law. And the rhetoric is pretty misleading and unhelpful and the law is a disaster. So I'm yep. not... I mean, the case is a real fight against the case kind of experience. And so hopefully we can get through a conversation today, both kind of illuminating what the case says on its own terms and why we think it's such a complicated thing to still teach yeah. 20, 23 years after it's been decided. I would say that one thing it's worth, which is sort of like just getting out there is it's a very influential case. That's the and, thing. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, there's this um, restatement of consumer contracts, which is currently in a, um, a holding pattern. Um, and in their consumer contracts, one of the things they do is they try to figure out what are the most influential consumer facing contract cases over the last generation. And this is definitely, if not the one yep. of the most important and influential and cited opinions in the consumer sphere of contract law, um, certainly since the, the turn of the millennium. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those things you kind of have to have a conversation about, although why is it influential it might not be because it's good. Yeah, no, and it's one of, it's, I mean, it, it's an interesting case for thinking about how it matters now because it's relevance and partly term, and partly in part turns on whether you're taking it like literally versus seriously, right? It has to do with like at what level you're taking, there's a lot of statements, a lot of sort of bold um, claims about what contract it is and what contracts are like in this case that is not actually always obvious if they're sort of dicta or if, right? And so, there's, there's, 
depending on how you take the claims, the case could be extraordinarily influential. Could sort of change how we think about a lot of stuff. But let's but let's talk about what what the issue what the Great. what the issues are. All right. So the question this is typically taught as a, as a, like an acceptance case, right? Um, or 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 what happens when terms when new terms um, come later in the deal. So here what you have is sort of a series of interactions, a phone call, some chatting presumably between the customer service representative and the customer, a, you give a credit card number, probably the credit card gets charged, then the customer service folks send over the order to the I don't know, factory, the manufacturer, who then puts the computer in the mail with paperwork. And there's kind of one last act. I'm putting act in scare quotes, which only someone on video could see. But and the act is the failure to return the computer. So there's one more thing you can do sort of at the very end where the consumer, the customer has a choice to return the computer within 30 days um, if they don't like the terms that are in the box. So the question is whether or not the terms in the box are going to um, are count as part of the deal. Here, wait, let's, let's, let's give an, a version of this that's super clear that the terms wouldn't count. So th this is a sale of goods. Uh, well, uh, let's, yeah, let's start with, it. it's a sale of goods. The UCC applies. One version to think about the case as is the offeror is the customer. I offer to buy the computer on the following terms. It has a 386 or 486 chip. It has a monitor with the following resolution. Uh, it comes with um, uh, the following kind of modem, a 2400 baud modem. These are all uh, should be yep. familiar terms if you grew up in the late 80s and early 90s, which who has not uh, done that? Um, and the, 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 the company returns the box to you with an acceptance which contains different terms than your offer, additional two or different terms, which would be great, amazing, here's your computer, plus arbitration clause. Arbitration is definitely not part of the offer that you made. Under 2207, that would be an acceptance that differed from the offer. Under 2207 uh, part one, it could still function as an acceptance um, so long as the um, additional um, terms additional terms were not expressly made conditional, which they're definitely not because the gateway is willing to ship. And then we would then ask, do the additional terms become part of the bargain under 2207 Um it would be complicated because one, the customer who is the offeror is not a merchant, but, and so we would probably say the answer is no, um, because if the customer is not a merchant, you don't really get to sort of the, um, the comp complexity of 2272. But even if the customer was a merchant, if they were the kind of person who was buying these terms all of the time, an arbitration clause, at least in the late 1990s, certainly materially offers the bargain. And it would not become a part of the, the, the exchange between the parties. So under 2207, I think this is like the general consensus under the UCC and therefore under 2207, 
if the customer is the offeror, um, then the arbitration clause does not become a part of the deal. Under traditional common law principles, the exact same thing is true if the customer is the offeror. Now, you might say, like, what if the company is the offeror? What if they're the ones who's proposing the bargain, which isn't insane. The problem is that the deal has been concluded under the traditional common law principles. At the time, the uh, almost certainly, the money has been exchanged. And then you have this terms that follow later. And under traditional common law, that would be a proposal for a new bargain, um, a new uh, or, or maybe even a modification of the bargain. And it's, it's um, you can't make silence acceptance. And it's not really obvious that you can force them to return the goods. And so I think even under the traditional common law principles, it wouldn't become part of the deal. The only way this becomes a part of the deal, the only sort of path through which the arbitration becomes part of the deal, is if you neither do traditional common law nor do 2207. And instead just say, under 2204 of the UCC and under 2206, did the parties intend for there to be a bargain? And if they did, you kind of like um, don't have the moment of the formation to be particularly identified, but you treat the uh, you, you treat the parties as if they entered into a bargain, and the terms are those terms that they agreed upon, and uh, the terms that sort of a reasonable person would agree on, which is sort of what Easterbrook ends up doing. That's the path through which this arbitration clause comes in. Yeah. So, so let me, okay, so the, the opinion itself is going to grapple at great length with the precedent of ProCD versus Zeidenberg, which I'm going to, which let me talk about in one second, but so let me just say, so it's, Judge Easterbrook is not, is not uh, unaware of the 2207 argument, of the fact, mm-hmm. that, right, he's not unaware of the fact that this looks like kind of what 2207 does. You got some goods, you got some terms that come at different times. It does seem like a 2207 type case. So um, Judge Easterbrook says, the Hills insist that ProCD is irrelevant because Zeidenberg, um, this is the parties in this case that we're gonna, he's relying on, was a merchant and they are not. Section 22072 of the UCC, the infamous battle of the forms section, states that additional terms following acceptance of an offer are to be construed as proposals for addition to a contract. Between merchants, such terms become part of the contract unless yada yada. That's ellipsis or his. Plaintiffs tell us that ProCD came out as it did only because Zeidenberg was a merchant and the terms inside ProCD's box were not excluded by the unless clause. This argument pays scant attention to the opinion in ProCD. We'll talk about why he's annoyed about people paying scant attention in a second. Which concluded that when there is only one form, Section 2207 is irrelevant. Right. There is so that's much the, going on here. That's the big line in the case. I yeah. Mean, that's the big, that's the, that's the, the, the analytic move. That's yeah. right, the analytic move. So ProCD, oh gosh, I haven't taught in years. But the gist of ProCD is you have a person going into a store, a person who is going to use software for commercial purposes, that's Zeidenberg, mm-hmm. goes into a store to buy the software. The box that he's going to, that on the outside of the software says something like, there's terms in here. And the terms are, you can only use this version of the software for personal for use. For non-commercial pur- purposes. And he's going to use it for commercial purposes. Yes. Uh, and 
so he's going to breach the contract and like because he's getting it kind of cheap yeah no one feels bad, bad for him yeah. that he doesn't look at the terms until he opens the opens the software and so his argument is i didn't know I, I bought the thing without knowing the terms but it's it's not a particularly strong argument and what and what easterbrook who writes pro cd indeed yes says is I mean, there's two things. One of them is, of course, it's it's correct that he is a merchant, and so under two two zero seven two, he, you know, it's it's very possible that those terms do come in. But two, Easterbrook says, it's the battle of the forms, and there's only <laughs> one form, and which is actually which, not even true. I don't. It's like, not true. What is? I mean, yeah. <laughs> what, what's funny about that is like nothing about two two zero seven says we're the battle of the forms. It's just if no. the acceptance def- differed yeah. from the offer. A Nothing definite about that requ- and seasonable expression of acceptance or written confirmation. I, yes. Right. So, so, I mean, Easterbrook plays, I mean, he's a, he plays sophistry. I mean, it's a sophist, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a ridiculous argument. But the, the idea is that the 2207 is limited to when there's literally two pieces of paper that cross. And that's not what 2207 says. And look, if you were to ask Easterbrook, and he was in the right kind of mood, he would wink at you and say like, I know it's not what it says. I, I mean, I'm not, he's a very sophisticated fella. And he knows that this is a, an aggressive reading of, this, of the statutory text. And what's particularly aggressive is he's a federal judge on appeal interpreting the Illinois version of what the UCC is. So he's really doing a thing here. No. And and the yes. thing he's doing is just ignoring what the, I mean, he is, he is doing a very atextual reading of the code in oh, order that's... to advance a particular, which is fine. Like, I mean, the first Those generation law and economics people are, are definitely not super focused on what the, I mean, they believe that it would be better if 2207 didn't say this. And by the way, everyone thinks it'd be better if the 2207 didn't say this. Like, <laughs> 2207 is not a well-drafted sort of statutory text and, or code text. And from Easterbrook's perspective, it's sort of like, I know better. And it's dumb. And so, so go ahead. Yes. No, but, and, and so, but so it does, we, we do wind up with this opinion that doesn't quite own that rhetoric. It, it actually does this very aggressive sort of, you have to know I'm right. right. With a real sort of belittling if I, of the Hills's claim, you know, for their second Sally, the Hills contend, yada, yada. Like nobody wants their like legal arguments to be called a Sally. Um, right. It makes it seem like there's a, um, they're sort of just, you know, throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what, what sticks. So the Easter, Judge Easterbrook, Judge Easterbrook has this um, view of what's going on here that that it, it, it goes be it is sort of still in the spirit of the UCC in the sense that he's saying can we please be realistic about what's happening in the world of buying and selling goods here so so one of the things that the, that the Hills say is, you know, you're relying heavily on, on Pro-CD, a case that was kind of marginal anyway, and you decided. So, like, you interpreted the rule, then you real quick sort of ratified your own interpretation with this case, right? But actually, even Pro-CD is really different than what we have here. Because in Pro-CD, what you had was someone going into a 
first of all, you had a non-consumer and who's thus understood to be at a sort of higher level. We, we, we take a non-consumer to be drawing more sophisticated inferences from things like the product being cheap, right? A non-consumer who goes in and to get commercial software for commercial use that should be super expensive, that's cheap, we think you know something's up, right? But so ProCD had this non-consumer going in to buy, to buy software. And when they, before that, before Zeidenberg paid, before he took the box up, he could see on the outside of the box Imagine like a big like warning. It wasn't like this, but imagine a big warning label saying there are terms in this box you probably don't like. Right. Something right, and and so and so Easter Judge Easterbrook is gonna is gonna um, does not like this. Um, d- does not like this argument, and it and has a characterization of what contract of of what parties should expect from contracts that I think is pretty un- unusual. Or is novel? Do you... uh, it's so hard to disentangle what's novel anymore. I, I mean, well, now it feels supernatural. I mean, his argument is, look, just like when you go to a store and you have a box, you know that there's going to be terms inside. Surely, too, this consumer knew that when they ordered something online, or now it's on the phone, there's going to be terms that follow. And there's nothing surprising therefore about the idea that terms came in the box and if they really cared about them they could have asked and his argument is like why would we make them ask it's the stupidest thing in the world to have a conversation when you're buying a computer to have a conversation about the terms it just slows down commerce and i think you're exactly right what easterbrook says he's doing is he's going to be he's going to take the ucc seriously but not literally Seriously, in that the point of the UCC is to is to grease the skids of commercial transactions in ways that reasonable people would recognize as not letting law get in the way, but not literally in that he's going to ignore what the text says because he's going to say it's not forms, you know. And the opinion has a logic, and it's the logic of let's not get in the way of commerce. And it would be outrageous to imagine that when you called this computer delivery, this entrepreneurial consumer delivery company, that you would have to hear about the terms, the the legal terms of the transaction. Do you want to know about arbitration? Not really. Do you care? Not really, says Easterbrook. And And there's something about that logic which has seduced generations now of judges, lawyers, and law students. Yep. And and so, like, this case is the case that has basic, I mean, if you look at sort of 2207 cases before or after, essentially, like, people don't cite 2207 in consumer cases anymore. They just cite Hill. Yep. And Hill, I mean, 2207 is basically dead letter for mass commerce. Um, Hill, is the, Hill is the way to sort of, Tail is the way that these cases are decided, not just in, consu- in computers, not just on the phone, but also now online. I mean, there's a, there was a shingles case. That, I mean, basically, for any product in where there's, for any product where there's mass um, uh, selling from a, single, from a single seller, Hill is the case that gets cited. So, well, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure I totally agree with that. I mean, sorry, I agree. I for sure agree he'll get cited. That's for sure true. You do still see courts drawing distinctions between click wrap and browse wrap, which, I mean, you just, whatever, it, it exists, right? 
I don't know whether or not they are, whether or not they're buying the, their own rhetoric in those cases, or whether or not they're both basically sort of cautionary opinions for the for the firms being like look at this was super easy all you had to do was put a blue hyperlink terms and conditions next to the buy button and and you'd solve this problem for courts like me right yeah. so one of the things that's one of the ways in which sort of i'm tempted to think about this case being really irrelevant is the fact that you have phone and mail rather than internet because the the phone piece is first of all doesn't create a record right second of all doesn't you don't you can't see stuff so like it, a lot depends on like who says what when whereas online there's relatively standard like user design whatever interface or whatever that you can see that mostly what you're doing when you're, ta when you're talking about about commerce mostly what you're getting is terms and conditions that are visible to you on the page yeah. you're buying from I, so i guess uh, um so I agree that the online commerce sort of creates a bit of a hill wrinkle in that you can now have the terms more easily up front. But I, I mean, for me, the logic of hill yeah. is, is really that the, the, the company is the vendor. That's the important yes. 227 yes. logic. Yes. And that's yes. the logic people have bought. Yes. And I mean, that's the first thing. And then the second thing Wait, is- sorry. I'm sorry. Can I just pause for one second? You said the company is the vendor, which is, has got to be true. But I take it that you mean the company is the, the vendor is the offeror. 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 Yeah, okay. offeror. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. I apologize. So the, the company or the vendor is the offeror, which is not, uh, yep. I would just say like nothing about 2207 tells us anything about who the offeror, the offeror. is. Yep. And in every 2207 problem, you have to make a choice because they both are basically making things that are kind of offers um, at the same time. And what I've always taught is 2207 is hard because it doesn't tell you how to answer the most important question, which is who starts? Yep. And you have to choose. And, and, you know, my view is that the choice is a matter of policy. It's nothing, there's nothing logical about that set of questions. It could be, you could say whoever goes first, but when the parties are working on the internet, like first yep. is not really a relative, it, it's not an important way to make distinction. It could be who is better able to standardize the terms, which would be very similar to this kind of logic. It would be the, you know, the company is better able to standardize. And so you can therefore shop on terms if the standardization allows you to have Yep. different prices for different terms or it could be you know who is the weaker party so anyway the, the there's lots of different ways to do this what hill teaches the big lesson from hill the thing that people cite from hill is the firm is going to be the offeror not the customer sorry go ahead and conceptually i agree with you that it could go either way but i think it is helpful to note that that's that's a move that this case mm -hmm. is making that can that prior to this case you would have said as a default matter the, the customers, the offeror. So when I so I teach a lot of LL Bean um, mail order, not cases, but like hypos. Yes, good. Um, so like the the sort of mindless internet browsing of the late 80s, early 90s yes. was looking at catalogs, at least in my house. Um, and we'd order stuff from LL Bean. Mm -hmm. um, and so anyways, you get you get your catalog in the mail and LL Bean is offering you stuff. It looks like they're offering, sorry, it looks like they're, they're offering you stuff, right? Backpacks, turtlenecks, whatever. Um, and so you're looking through the catalog and it looks like that's the offer, right? You can get this, <laughs> you can get this turtleneck <laughs> for, you can get these bean boots. <laughs> I have a list of... <laughs> Uh, you can get these wool socks, whatever, for $7.99, all right? But that is not 
the offer. The catalog is not the offer. And the catalog is not the offer actually for, I think, logically for sort of, a, there's, there's a logic to that, which is that what if that, which is that when you send in the little forms in the middle of the catalog, there's like a little pullout form and you fill it out and you put the SKU number or whatever, and you send the thing in and they send you their backpack or whatever. Um, it is not the case that if you send in your order form saying, I want socks and a backpack and a shirt or whatever, that L.L. Bean, if they turn out to be out of plaid flannel shirts, is in breach. Because you are making the offer, right? The customer is making the offer saying, here is my information. Please accept by fulfilling my offer, basically, right? And, and, and L.L. Bean naturally, or whatever, whatever retailer you can imagine, does not want to accept liability in the case that there's suddenly a run on this product, right? So the natural offeror is the customer, I think. And this, for folks who, who, um, who also take Leonard versus uh, PepsiCo, who, sorry, sorry, who teach Leonard versus PepsiCo, um, that's the logic of that case too, right? The offeror there is the kid who's saying, I want the hair, who's filling out the form to say, I ex I'd like to get this Harrier jet, says, says Judge Wood in that case. And then, and then PepsiCo says, like, you can, no, no thanks, we don't accept, we're not giving you a hair or your job, right? Um, and, that's how, and that's how the case, case goes. So even though it is true that, it, there's a, that one can imagine a sort of rethinking of this relationship between the customer and the, and the vendor in terms of who's offering and who's accepting, for what it's worth, this case is making a novel move in the sort of historical trajectory of, of offer and acceptance doctrine I, I i mean i agree that the big thing that i would take out of the case is that the the the, the easterbrook has a logic where the firm becomes the offeror and the hard part about 2207 is trying to decide for yourself or how to think for yourself about that about that problem sort of who is the who is the offeror the and the and the the reason that he gives for that move, this policy reason, is so that sort of it it motivates commerce, and or you know it makes it easier to imagine selling at scale yep. over the internet or over the phone. And that logic continues. I mean, that's sort of the big. I mean that that is the problem in a lot of these um, click wrap versus shrink wrap or different ways to do online acceptance. One of the things that comes out of the case. For me, the sort of the the deeper point about contract law is who cares about terms, and I'm not saying that's novel to him. Of course, it's been a problem for adhesion contracts for consumers for like three generations. Is sort of who cares about terms, but the case is sort of for me a bit of a fulcrum or sort of a point where you know this is a very fancy judge and it's a very well accepted case. And the basic idea is no one cares about these terms. And he wants to say it out loud, almost like he finally is like, well, finally, we can say the thing. Contract law doesn't matter to the way that commerce operates. And judges should treat it as if it doesn't matter. They should basically conform the legal rule to the practice. And the result of that is, you know, you say that courts care about click rack versus shrink wrap, And I just don't know why they do. You oh, know, I agree. I mean, it, it, there's nothing, nope. nothing right. interesting about whether or not you no, click right. on the terms or whether you have notice of the terms yep. or whether you could have known that the terms were available because honestly, it wasn't going to stop you. And the, the thing that courts have done is sort of have terms, the acceptance be kind of this symbolic marker 
where now, you know, if you, if you click, if you click on the terms and you had the opportunity to read them, they could say literally anything at all. There's not going to be any policing of their substantive content. And, you know, for Easterbrook, you know, in, in a way, he's not saying that he's not saying we, there should be some marker of the terms. He's like, actually, who cares? No, Just if go you look, off and do the thing. If you look at the, yeah, right. So he says the Hills knew before they ordered the computer that the carton would include some important terms and they did not seek to discover these in advance. For what it's worth, as a matter of his as, as, as encapsulation of the facts, he's saying, I impute knowledge. Right. He's not saying they were warned. He's saying as humans in this world who have ever gotten a box in the mail with electronics in it, you knew this was coming. Like, right. right, this is not, so, so normally with contract, with these, with these kind of consumer contracts, we do something which I, I'm with, I mean, for us, I'm with Judge Easterbrook here about how, what's sensible, what's a sensible inquiry. Normally we, normally you see courts doing this very sort of fussy, granular question about, but, but when you scroll down, could you see the top of the bar and was it obvious that it was a, that it was a link, right? And he's saying, no, 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 wait. You live in the world. You for sure know that contract terms exist. And then he says something even better. He's like, of course, you know, the firm wasn't going to conceal them from you. If, if you had asked, they would have totally <laughs> told you why he says, and this is, he's like, consuming would be bad for business, scaring some customers away. And, he's, and then here's the sort of the great idea, which is like, he's like, if anyone cared about this, the market would clear. You know, that by which he means, you know, people would shop on terms. You would have a new gateway would arise. Let's just say that arbitration clause really mattered. That it was sort of a real, a real horror. You know, people yep. really didn't like it. There'd be a new gateway. It'd be like, you can have your cow boxes. And no you don't arbitration. Have, but no arbitration. We're the non-arbitration, com- you know, computer company. Like Mark Cuban, um, you know, is out there selling Dell. No, he doesn't sell Dell. What does Mark Cuban sell? I don't even remember. I think we both know. I don't know the answer to that question. Well, I don't know either. I was just thinking about someone who was not Ellison. Anyway, some other computer guy sells hardware without arbitration clauses. And he says, since that hasn't happened, we can therefore infer, <laughs> backwardly infer, no one cared in the first place. It's just, it is the real, um, yep. the real logic of law and economics. It is. It's like, and, and, and like, to... Uh, to like uh, what's when you go to the logical end, a to little a bit at absurdum. A little bit at absurdum, but right. it's sort of like you guys. Just I'm committed. Sit back, yeah, just sit back down, guys. Yeah, I've said. You know, <laughs> there's something so complete about the uh, the nature yeah. of the argument that there's nowhere, there's no in on it. Um, he's like, look, they're not going to conceal because if they concealed, there'd be a market reaction. So therefore, they totally would tell anyone who asked. And so therefore, the fact that no one asked means that no one cared. And yep. you sit there and you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, you're totally right. Great point. I really agree with you. So obviously no one cares about contract law. And it's that kind of argument, um, the first generation law and economics people brought to contract law that I think left, I mean, there's just a whole generation of contract after this, both scholarship and doctrine, that's really been at sea. Um, it's been unmoored since this case and, and sort of cases like it trying to think about what to do with consumer contract law. Yep. And yep. it's gone in lots of different directions. You know, some people have basically said like, let's not even worry about notice at all because who cares? 
And some people say, let's make the notice amazing because maybe we could get people to pay attention, like have it be like yeah, sniffing. Whole, a whole generation of my, of, I mean, so when I was in graduate school in, in sort of psycho- in psychology in the early aughts, this was a ton of the papers, a yeah. ton of papers coming out, coming out of uh, sort of the, out of that line between psychology and behavioral economics that were about how do you make things more salient? How can you make people shop on the arbitration clause, make them choose their deal? And the idea was like, you cannot, what? That's, I mean, yeah. I would have, that's, I mean, right. people, that's, my, that's like, my view. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. people are like, what's well, like cigarette warning labels for exactly. contracts? Exactly, let's put, um, here's let's your put lungs things on into, contracts. exactly, let's, let's put out sort of rating sheets that show the quality of the terms so you can easily compare across firms. It just turns out for things like computers, that's the 17th attribute you're, you care about and you don't, that's not how the brain works, nor is that how most people's, I mean, it is for what it's worth. It is, of course, entirely rational for the Hills not to read this deal. It is entirely rational for them to be indifferent about the arbitration clause. It's not even obvious the arbitration clause is bad. No, I mean, exactly. I have I, no idea. Yeah. I mean, I'm waiting for someone have, to tell me. Yes. We would have to have like a lot of information. I'm, it might be the case that arbitration clauses are generally bad for consumers as a group. It is not obvious they're bad for gateway customers, and it is not obvious yep. they're bad for the Hills. Yep. And Anyone who wants to tell you that arbitration is always bad is making an argument that's for me like too general for the sort of the particular case here. Uh, Although I would so, love some actual record. I would love to. Well, I'd love to have something yeah. that forms some records. So I'd like to be able to know some stuff. You know. Right. The the case is sort of for me. You know, it's a fracture point in the in the in the doctrine because I think after the case and you know and and so it's been twenty years, right? Twenty five years since the case. I think scholars of contract law and judges of contract law really just don't know what to do about this formation problem at formation at a distance. And it's a really urgent problem because of course it is how all contracts are formed now. Uh, And especially consumer contracts are going to be formed online. And the result of the idea that terms don't matter is that terms are getting worse. I mean, I think that like if you were, if you were to look at the number of clauses that are in this gateway box that are bad for consumers versus the number of clauses that are bad for consumers today, put arbitration aside. Think about like exculpation clauses. Think about damage limitations. Think, think about, about class action waivers, privacy waivers. All of it gets worse. And it might not be that contract is at fault for that, right? There's macro trends in the economy that make things worse. There's all kinds of changes in insurance law that makes things worse. There's national litigation practice that makes things worse, but it's gotten worse. And no one has a great solution. It, it is, Easterbrook says the market will clear and that's obviously not true. Like it is obviously not true that consumers are, are, are sufficiently motivated to care. And that is not, it's not because that they, um, it, it, that doesn't mean that they're making decisions that sort of in the long run are good for consumers as a group. And so we have kind of a market failure maybe. Um, and common law contract, UCC contract has been insufficient to the challenge. And it's been insufficient challenge for a really long time. And the result is, I mean, for me, my class gets harder every year. I mean, it's harder every year to sort of talk about and think about what should be done inside the class to help consumers. Consumer protection ends up being 
just something that has to be done on the that's, side. That's something else. Regulation. No. Yeah, it's something yes. else. No. And that's why the case becomes really, um, really frustrating to teach because what you end up saying is like, I've got nothing for you guys. Yep. I have the nothing contract helpful. contract law is not going to do it. Right. I have right. nothing helpful inside the doctrine. You require, yes. No, and that, I mean, when, so, so um, this last year I taught consumer law for the first time and I, it just was so much less contract than I expected. I mean, I don't mm -hmm. know what I was, you know, but it just was really not, it was about sort of ways of sort of molding contracts from the outside rather than ways of leveraging contract doctrine itself. I want to do something but right before we end here that's going to be a little bit, that's a little bit pedantic. So people who um, are not, um, maybe are not studying Battle of the Forms would want to like click the off button. But so I used to teach this as part of a, as a paired case of, with Clocheck versus Gateway. Um, and I want to just say, as like a way of, as like a review for students who are, who are in the Battle of the Forms thicket. Um, let me just tell you a way that this case, that the same facts were made to basically just go away by a Fifth Circuit dealing with the same thing. And I'm just going to go kind of, I'm going to go a little bit, just almost like, almost like phrase by phrase. Is that, is that good with you? Yeah. Okay. So, Klocheck versus Gateway, same facts. Other, this is other consumers who are suing, who are suing Gateway. In the Fifth Circuit, though. And the judge in that case says, okay, listen, normally the offeror is the customer. The customer calls and says, hello, I would like a computer. And the judge in that case says, let's assume, let's even say that, um, that, the, that the phone call itself doesn't include the acceptance. Right? Let's even say that acceptance is the mailing of the computer. Okay? Even then, says that judge, I don't think under 2207 that we have a, that, we, that, those, that the um, firm's terms get in. Let me just say why. So the judge says, a definite and seasonable expression of acceptance or a written confirmation, which is sent within a reasonable time, operates as an acceptance, even though it states terms additional to or different from those offered or agreed upon. So the judge says, okay, the customer made an offer and Gateway accepted it by sending the computer. But when they sent the computer, there was different stuff, stuff that hadn't been agreed upon. So one possibility is that there's no acceptance at all. And the judge says, nope. That's not the case because actually the acceptance, the sending of the computer with the extra terms was not expressly made conditional on assent to the additional or different terms. That would have required tape on the outside of the box saying, send this back immediately. We aren't part of this deal unless you accept the terms inside this box. Right? Then you'd have to say, is there any way that those terms can possibly still get in? Well, look at 2.207.2, says that judge. The additional terms are to be construed as proposals for addition to the contract. Well, first of all, what the, what the consumer would say is, fine, those are proposals. I don't like them, so they're out, right? That's, that's easy. Between merchants, the terms would become part of the contract unless a couple of things happen. There's, these, this is not between merchants, right? These are the the um, the buyers here are them. That's by definition are not merchants. So all those terms are under a traditional two two zero seven analysis. If you think about the customer as the offeror, is they're just proposals, and as long as the customer doesn't accept them, then they don't get into the contract, and there is no arbitration clause. 
that's the other way that one could, that's the way that this case could be made to sort of go away, right? The terms were a changing of the terms of the offer. So there's acceptance plus new terms. The new terms are not, don't come with a sort of advisory that they are expressly conditioned, that the deal is expressly conditional acceptance of the new terms. So they're just proposals and they're out. That wasn't pedantic. That was actually, that was great. Super helpful, actually. Well, there we go. All right. Awesome. Thus spake hill. Thus spake hill. All right. Bye, everybody.